could change? Anybody? Things in your past that you could change? I think when we speak truthfully, there are things in every one of our lives that we wish could, we could change. Some people, it's so bad in their life that they just wish they could start all over again. The idea of you being able to start over again and have a new day and a clean slate is not out of your reach. Be able to start out with a clean slate, in fact, is a promise from Scripture that God would renew you and give you a fresh start and give you a new beginning. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. Psalm 51, verse 10, David, who had done some terrible things in his life, prays that God will renew a right spirit within him. He was so overwhelmed and so burdened down by the guilt and the convictions of his past. He didn't know where to turn, but he turned to God and he said, God, forgive me of my sin and help me to have a clean start. Isaiah 40, verse 31, God promises a wonderful verse most of you probably know by heart. But they that wait, and that means trust and hope, upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That strength, that inner strength that comes when the Lord is renewing you, it demonstrates the incredible nature of the God we worship. Think about one aspect of God's nature, and that is that he is eternal, that God had no beginning and no end. He always existed. For him, there is no beginning and no end. Yet he knows that we, his finite creation, need renewing. We need to know that the weight of our past can give way to a fresh start, a renewal, a new beginning. God, who is outside of the constraints of time and eternity, reminds us that human life on earth is short and it's precious and it holds within each day the opportunity for us to be productive and happy. Christians are known for the stand they take about matters of life and death. And we should never back away from our stand that as God sees it and as he translates it to us, life is precious whether it's in the womb, whether it's in a, in a nursing home, life is precious. To God, you are precious. Let's turn to Psalm 90, verses 1 to 12. Psalm 90, verses 1 to 12. Let's stand as we read the scripture. I'll read it to you this morning. Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past and as a watch in the night. Thou cowerest them away as with a flood. They are as a sleep. In the morning they grow up like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath we are troubled. For thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. 
We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore and ten, that's seventy. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, that's eighty. Yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Another wonderful picture of God's timelessness. He's not bound up in what we're bound up in. I mean, you got here at a certain time. You're leaving at a certain time. You're planning to get someplace this afternoon at a certain time, whatever that is. But time is a constraint to most of us. God's not bound by that. Can we get our head around that? A thousand years in God's sight is just like that. For us, a thousand years, couldn't even begin to think about it. John 8, 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is talking about timelessness. He's in another dimension. He's able to look back and see Abraham here on a, on a, on a straight line, and he's able to look thousands of years to where he was at that moment. And while he's doing that, he's able, even able to look forward and see us standing right here. The idea of time means absolutely nothing to Jesus. As, Mo, as Abraham was, I am. Abraham had a beginning, but Jesus had no beginning. As God, he is eternal. And let's never forget that. He's co-equal with God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Those three in one. Jesus had no beginning. He's God eternal. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When the religious people of his time heard him say that, it really got them ticked off. Because what Jesus was actually saying, because he said that he was the Word, and that he was there from the beginning, he was actually saying that he and God are eternal, and they're one. And that was blasphemy. And what was the reaction of the mob? The same as a reaction from mobs today. They wanted to pick up stones and stone them to death. You've committed blasphemy. It's blasphemy when I say it or you say it. But when Jesus says it, it's not blasphemy, it's doctrine. It's what we need to understand. As life goes along, we begin to realize that time flies. Have you come to that conclusion yet? I have. The older we get, the faster it goes, and God expects us to make some wonderful things with the time we've got. Three elderly sisters are sitting in the living room chatting about various things. One sister says, you know, I'm getting really forgetful. This morning I was standing at the top of the stairs and I couldn't remember whether I had just come up or I was about to go down. Anybody experienced that this morning? The second sister says, you think that's bad? The other day, I was sitting on the edge of the bed, and I couldn't remember whether I was going to bed or had just awakened. The third sister smiled smugly. Well, my memory is just as good as it's always been. You sit still. I'll get the door. Okay, you'll get that in the morning. Two old-timers were chatting at a restaurant. One said, hey, Max, this is, isn't this your 50th anniversary? Max replies, yeah. Well... What are you going to do? What are you planning to do? Max replied, well, I remember taking my wife on into Arizona on our 25th anniversary. Huh, the friend said, 
You'll have to do something special for your 50th. What are you going to do? I guess I'll go back and pick her up. Okay. <laughs> Better ones next time. So often we get bogged down in the challenges and stresses of the day. From time to time, we need to stand back from one day and realize that in our routine, we need to see the big picture. Sometimes you and I get lost in the details of the day. Sometimes we get lost in the stresses of the day. Sometimes we forget all of this stuff about God and the big picture because we're so wrapped up in what's happening right now. There are times in your life and times in my life when the event, the circumstance, the situation, the trouble or the problem is so big, you can't get it out of your head. It just continues to roll around. It would be good to get a sense of the big picture. In the big picture, we're not alone in this universe. In the big picture, we recognize that life of the planet and life on the planet is not an accident. They are God's incidents. In the big picture, we recognize that for the believer, life has meaning and life has purpose, a reason to get up in the morning. In the big picture, the Bible informs that life had a beginning and God is in control of everything. You know the words in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and that is foundational to the truth of Bible-believing Christians. I want to share this from a new book that came out, Is Atheism Dead? And it was written by Eric McTaxis. He's a, a great author. But I want to have you understand what science is revealing these days that makes biblical truth the truth. So listen to what he writes. This is his op-ed in, um, in the Wall Street Journal. It was entitled, Science Increasingly Makes the Case for God. It was published in the Wall Street Journal on December 25th, 2014. Since then, it has garnered over 600,000 Facebook shares and more than 9,250 comments, making it unofficially the most popular article in the Wall Street Journal's history. This is what he writes. In 1966, Time Magazine ran a cover story asking, is God dead? How many of you remember that? Anybody remember that besides the people who are over the age of 50? Do you remember? Okay, good. Many have accepted the cultural narrative that God is absolute, that science, as it progresses, there is less need for a God to explain the universe. Yet it turns out that the rumors of God's death were premature. More amazing is that the relatively recent case for his existence comes from a surprising place, science itself. Here's the story. The same year time featured that now famous headline, the astronomer Carl Sagan announced that there were two important criteria necessary for a planet to support life. He said, I've got it all figured out. There are two important things that have to exist in order for there to be life on a planet. Here's what he said, the right kind of star and a planet the right distance from that star. That was his thesis. Given the roughly octillion, that's the number one followed by 27 zeros, planets that there are roughly octillion planets in the universe, there should have been about septillion capable of supporting life. Uh, with such spectacular odds, SETI, S-E-T-I, which stands for the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, which is a large, expensive collection of private and publicly funded projects 
launched in the 1960s, was sure to turn up life on some planet. But as our knowledge of the universe increased, it became clear that there were far more factors necessary for life than the two that Carl Sagan suggested. As, as factors continue to be discovered, the two Sagan suggested have grown to 200. Over 200 criteria have to be in place for life to begin. In other words, the odds turned against any planet in the universe supporting life, including this one. Probability said that even we shouldn't be here. Fred Hoyle, the astronomer who coined the term Big Bang, said that his atheism was greatly shaken at these developments. He later wrote that a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with the physics as well as chemistry and biology. Oxford professor John Lennox, the more we get to know about our universe, the more hypothesis that there is a creator gains in credibility and as the best explanation of why we are here. The greatest miracle of all miracles in the universe, a miracle which cannot be avoided, points the combined brightness of every star to something or someone beyond itself. Science is now beginning to believe that there's no way to look at it, that there was intelligence behind the design and creation of the universe. In the book of Romans, we learn that God has made himself known in the vastness of the university and the complexity of the tiniest cell. So he says, if you look under a rock, you'll see me. He said, if you look into the stars, you'll see me. If you look into the things that are unseen, i.e. things you can't see with the naked eye, things that you have to use a, a, an electronic telescope and something microscope to see, if you look in and see those things, they're going to show you my fingerprints. And as we look at the tiniest star, we, uh, the, the tiniest cell, we begin to see it's not a simple thing. The tiniest cell is one of the most complex things in the universe. Do we realize that the God who wrote the information, DNA, language and code in every one of those living cells is the same God who inspired and preserved every word in this book? Think about that. Do you, you know that every cell has intelligence in it, built in by God, coded in by God. It's in your DNA. They know so much. The same God who did that DNA did this book. In his guidebook for life, the Bible tells us, with Christ at his center, life is worth living. Do you believe that? Are you experiencing that? In his guidebook, in Christ, we can weather any of life's storms. In Christ alone, he is the one who will transform us if we submit to his plan and will for our life. And the scripture is complete and replete with stories of those who gave their life over to the Lord and he did wonderful transformations in their life. Your life is still subject to transformation. You can get stronger. You can have more insight. You can have greater wisdom. You can have more understanding of the world around you, the universe around you, the various philosophies around you because your mind is focused on this book. You have a Christ-centered, biblically-centered worldview. It changes everything. It was God who gave a new beginning to a shepherd boy named David who was out playing his harp, protecting his sheep, and God took that young boy and raised him up to be a king. What a dramatic thing. 
God has a plan for David. God has a plan for you. It was God who gave a new beginning to that Egyptian prince named Moses. And God's plan for the Egyptian prince was that he would lead Egypt's slaves out of their slavery. And in so doing, Pharaoh erased Moses' name from every obelisk, from every pyramid, any place where Moses' name would be. Pharaoh said, your name will never be repeated again. It is vanished in the sands from history. Oops. God wrote a book. And God emblazoned the name of Moses throughout this book. God knows your name. God knew your name from birth, before birth. It was God who gave a new beginning to a woman of ill repute, a prostitute named Rahab. Her transformation reminds us that no matter how far we fall, God will lift us from our sin, raise us, and be used of him. Here's a woman who has sunk as low as you could possibly sing to sell her body. She may have done it to survive, whatever her reasons she had come to the lowest place. People around your neighborhood have come to the place in their life where about as low as they can possibly get. Guess what? You've got the answer to the depths of, uh, of their despair. You've got the ladder that they can use to climb out and come to a better place. There are members of your family, there are friends, there are coworkers who feel like life is worthless and they're considering killing themselves. You have the answer to life. It was Jesus Christ who gave a new beginning to a crew of fishermen, so that in three years, with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, they were transformed from anonymity and fear to men of faith and courage, and their testimony changed the world. God can use you to change the destiny of somebody's life when you share the gospel, no longer headed to hell, but headed to heaven. And it was Jesus Christ who gave a new beginning to the leading state-sponsored killer of the emerging first century church, a man named Saul. He changed his name to Paul, and he called him a chosen vessel to become missionary to the Gentiles, prolific writer, mighty prayer warrior, miracle worker, tactful Christian, zealous preacher, respected co-worker, forgiving co-worker, and teacher. Jesus was the one Paul could call upon and cry out in the midst of storms. I heard a pastor say on the, on the television this morning that someone had said to him, and I've heard this myself many, many times, well, I've, I've exhausted all my options, and so I decided to pray. Prayer is not your last place. It's not your last port of call. It is your first port of call. It's where you turn first to get help. It's where when you need God's help, you call out God. And this is what he did. As we discover, as we live, we can be in the midst of our life's greatest storms. We're not exempt from them. Everybody experiences them. You may be going through one of those trials right now. A woman named Mary Welchel writes in her book, Soaring on High, your storms may seem worse than mine or last longer than mine when you're going through them, but it's your storm and it's frightening. Nobody knows what you're going through when you're going through those kinds of times. Nobody can read your mind except God. Nobody will share your emotions. They may be sympathetic. 
They may say they care about what you're going through. They may want to reach out and touch. I can't tell you how many stories you folks have shared with me that just broke my heart. The most I could do was be there to be an ear and pray with you. And I knew that being a good listener, but being a better prayer was really what you needed. John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you that you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. God promised. People say, uh, I, when I became a Christian, I thought all my problems would disappear. No, God says that when you became a Christian, your problems just began. You have a whole new bunch of problems that you didn't have before. You have a whole bunch of people in your family who are going to criticize you for being a Christian. You got a whole bunch of people in your family and friends who don't want to hear about your faith in Jesus Christ. You have a whole culture that's so anti-Christian, anti-biblical, anti-Jesus, anti-the church. You're up against them. You're up against a whole system that more and more and more is closing in on free speech, free speech to enable you to share your true thoughts about eternity. We've had some strong storms over the past several days. Think about how you felt as the storms raged outside and you were safe and dry and comfortable inside your home. As you watched the storm through your window, you could see its effects, winds, rain, lightning, but they couldn't touch you because you were in your home. You were in your home. Remember what Jesus said in John 16, 33, in me, ye might have peace. Knowing you are in Christ is why you can weather life's storms. He becomes your shelter in times of storm. Proverbs 10, 25. As the whirlwind passes, so is the wicked no more, but the righteous is an everlasting foundation. You have something to repel. You have something to stand on. You have something secure. You have a strong place to be anchored to when the storms of life come down on top of you. Being in Christ, with Christ, and through Christ, you can get through anything that comes your way. Is it going to be easy? God never promised you that it would be easy. He always told you that there was going to be trouble and that some of it was going to be as wild as a storm. So when it happens, don't say you surprise me. You know, the disciples were surprised when Jesus was crucified. And he, when he came to them, he said, I, I'm surprised you're surprised. I told you I was going to be crucified. I told you I was going to be in the grave for three days. So God has told us that we can expect trouble, tribulation, and difficulties. But in Christ, and with Christ, and allowing Christ to work through you, you can get to the next place. Going back to the book, Soaring on High, storms are never easy. There is nothing trivial, a storm, about a storm, and no need to pretend that there is. But what is the alternative? To let the storm wipe you out? To live in bitterness and anger over the storm and its effects? To spend your days mourning and weeping over what could have been? and what no longer is, is that easy? There are many ways that people think of to get out of their trouble, but there's no easy way. There is just a way through. That's what you need to be praying for. 
God, help me get through this. And God's promise is this. He will help you get through the storm. Will he change the storm? Will he change your circumstance? Will he make things different and better? There's no promise for that. But there is this promise. I will go with you. Regardless of how high the problem, regardless how low the problem, regardless how severe the problem, I will go with you, help you to get through. It's not easy to soar on the winds of a storm and rise above it. It takes courage and faith, but your, church, your choice is either you soar above the storm and get through it, or be trapped in its whirlwinds and battered by its torrents. No easy here. Just above the storm or not. Speaking to his various sufferings, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.16, For which cause we faint not, not but through our, the, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Yes, life can be hard. Yes, circumstances can be overwhelming. Yes, you're going to wish that you didn't have to go through it. All of those things are true. But it's also true that God's promised to be by your side as you go through these things. And help. he'll light the way for you to get through this, to navigate this. When you're physically and emotionally worn out and worn down, try to remember, in Christ you have a reserve of strength waiting for you to claim it and release it. In other words, you have within you everything you need to get through this. The Holy Spirit's here. The promises of the word are there. You claim those. You believe those. When, when you feel like you're all alone, remind Jesus of his promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You claim that promise, and you let God know that you believe that he's with you by how you think. That day-to-day -day renewing energy is part of your spiritual inheritance and a blessing. The reserve of strength that you need to get through today is there. I would often say to the, to the patients at Hagedorn Psychiatric Hospital, you have enough of whatever it takes to get through today. I will say it to you. You have enough of whatever it takes that God's going to give you to get through today. Tomorrow, tomorrow will take care of itself. God will be there tomorrow. But right now, you're going to make it through today. It's what the Lord uses to make each day a new day and a new beginning. But you have to believe it. You have to claim it. And then you have to stand back and watch what God will do. God has a great new beginning for you in your circumstance, in your situation. He's promised that he will help you get through today by his strength, with his presence, just for you. Let's pray. So this morning, Father, we just pray that you will be each person here, each person listening. I, you, said to, you said to preach this sermon. There must be people who need it. And so, Lord, if there are those here who need this message this morning, I pray that you will touch their hearts and their minds, encourage them, cover them with your presence, with your peace. Give peace to those who need peace. Give calm to those who need calm. Give insight into those who need wisdom. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.